The saga continues. Santa Fe's DA bringing criminal charges against Alec Baldwin. It's been 16 months since the onset incident. Allegedly, Baldwin took the life of cinematographer Helena Hutchins and wounded the director when a loaded gun fired. According to the district attorney, there is sufficient evidence to file criminal charges against Alec Baldwin and other members of the Rust film crew. Baldwin and the film's armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, will each face two counts of involuntary manslaughter. The set was full of problems. Assistant director Dave Halls has already reached a plea deal. He failed to disclose a previous onset firearm discharge. The FBI found five more rounds of live ammo during the investigation charges will be formally filed by the end of January. No one can deny there's a lot of tragedy and suffering in this world. Christians know that one day God will wipe all tears from our faces. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris sharing the great story that's all about Jesus. And on this Friday, we're wrapping up a series called Jesus and the High Price of Eggs. Written and sung by Dolly Parton in 1980, it became a number one hit for her on both the country and the Billboard Hot 100 charts. Nine to five, what a way to make a living, barely getting by. It's all taken and no given. We've all felt that way, I'm sure, from time to time. Working hard, living paycheck to paycheck, and then throw in inflation, higher gas prices, high egg prices, higher prices all around, it's enough to drive you crazy if you let it. Well, it's my desire that this program today would be a haven of rest for you, to take your mind off the grind, to look to Jesus and find your rest. He is our haven. Even when the storm churns all around us, He is our anchor we can rest upon. And I'd like you to meet two women we recently caught up with, Sue Kimonetta and Carolyn Lambert. They were actually volunteering with some mailings we send out monthly. And we asked them to share about how inflation has affected their fixed incomes, but how the Lord has ministered to them over the last year. Well, it really has affected me. I've had to make more intentional choices. I only go to Costco for gas because it is the cheapest place. And uh, I make sure that I run more than one errand at a time. I run several and uh, I don't always buy the economy size product anymore um, because if I buy a smaller package, then I have a little bit more money to spend on another item. So, yeah, I guess it boils down to being more intentional. Well, as Carolyn has said, it's, it, it's a different way of thinking. And I've chosen to eat more at home, but it's a, it's a trade-off. It's just not spending as much money out. I don't go shopping to shop. Well, I guess the most important thing for me is the acknowledgement that God is sovereign, that He has promised in Joshua 1.9 that He would never leave me, never forsake me, and uh, 
that's an anchor that I grab a hold of every day. And it, and He is. He is faithful. The Lord just, um, through the last year, the, ble- the blessings have been that He has been there. And I have no cause to worry. He's in control. I'm not. Matthew 6.33 and Philippians 1.6. Um, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. In Philippians 1.6, he who has begun a good work in me will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And anytime I start to think things are going out of whack with me, I just go back to my anchor verses and put him back in control again. Many thanks to Sue and Carolyn taking some time to share with us today, turning our eyes to Jesus and the promises we have in God's Word. That's a great reminder for us all. Coming up, we're going to look at 10 myths about money that we can have as Christians and what the Bible has to say about them. We'll also be joined again by Dr. Ben Witherington, a New Testament scholar and the author of Jesus and Money, a guide for times of financial crisis. This is the best book I've ever read on the topic because it's drawn from the pages of Scripture. I think it will not only bless you, but it will help you deal with your heart and your money from a Christ-centered perspective. Call us after the program at 800-65-HAVEN, 800-65-HAVEN, or you can go to our website and read a sample chapter of Ben's book called Jesus and Money, haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. And don't forget... If you're looking for a way to get more into God's Word this year, then I want to recommend Charles Spurgeon's Morning and Evening Devotional. Ask about that when you call or read more online. And now, let's open this program with Matt Boswell and Matt Papa. How rich a treasure we possess in Jesus Christ our Lord. His blood our ransom and defense is glory.
This is Haven Today. The program's called Jesus and the High Price of Eggs. That was how rich a treasure we possess. Matt Boswell and Matt Papa. I'm Charles Morris. Not once, but twice in the past year, the lottery has ballooned over a billion dollars. Of course, if you actually won the total amount, it would be much smaller than that. But it says something about our world here in the West, doesn't it? We are obsessed with money. And too many of us are desperate to get more of it. Now, it's not entirely wrong to be concerned about money. A lot of people I know aren't sure how they're going to provide for their family. They're worried about the economy. They should be. And I'm not saying that Christians should never think about money. More on that later. But I do want to say that here in the West, with our consumerism and a constant barrage of advertisements, we as a culture are obsessed with money and stuff. The lottery keeps growing. And when it does, that's where our attention goes. News cycles report on it day by day. The daydreams of what you might do if you won that much. A vacation, cars, houses, you name it. And this mentality has crept into the church. There are many who will teach you that if you just have enough faith, God will give you those vacations, cars, houses, name it and claim it. And it's yours. But how should Christians think about money, though? Well, joining me one final time this week is Dr. Ben Witherington. He's a New Testament scholar. I count him as a friend. And he's done a lot of thinking about Jesus and money. Ben, sometimes even preachers today will say that if you claim something, if you have just enough faith, you can be rich. And I see this teaching all over the world, especially in poor countries like in Africa and Latin America, where I've been. What does the Bible have to say about these things and how we as Christians should look at money? Well, one of the things, I mean, I had the same experience in Moscow. Here were all these struggling, poor um, Russian Baptist pastors and ministers at a conference in beautiful downtown Moscow in a big Mm. arena that was formerly the arena where the communists would regularly meet. Mm. So there was some irony to this because it was now a mega church. Mm. Okay. But, but, and, and they had a speaker from Israel, what, who was a health and wealth gospel preacher, mm. preaching to an audience who had, barring a miracle shower of money from heaven, had no capacity mm. to actually follow this message in the tiny little rural churches they had in various cities outside of Moscow. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. So, you know, I, I'm afraid that we have been affected and infected by the the Western vision of, of uh, rampant materialism. And, well, what do we do about that? Well, we have to go through a process of de-enculturation. Hmm. And, you know, I, I, it's not going to be enough to say, God bless my standard of living. And it's, and it's especially not going to be good enough to listen to TV preachers who take all kinds of things out of context. A, a good example is, you know, seek first the kingdom mm-hmm. and all these things will be added to you. Yes. Well, if you look at the previous verses, what Jesus had promised was food, shelter and clothing. What he didn't what he didn't promise was, oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? No, that's not what's <laughs> promised. Jesus is talking to his disciples before television, before cars, before any of that. And what he says is the Heavenly Father, if you take uh, the time to trust him, will take care of your basic needs in life. 
that's all. You know, I mean, this would be the opposite of the message I heard in New York City some time ago from Reverend Ike, who got on the TV and said, the scripture for today is from St. Paul, who said, the lack of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, of course, that's not what that scripture says at all, right? And then he proceeded to give his uh, message. If money is burning a hole in your pocket or is a temptation, send it to me. Now, I'm going, this, uh, Jesus, if he was dead, would be rolling over in his grave over this kind of message. It is a disaster, and it has nothing to do with what the New Testament teaches about money. Dr. Ben Witherington, thanks again for joining me and being with us here on the program. You're listening to Haven Today in a program called Jesus and the High Price of Eggs. Did you hear what Dr. Witherington just said? It's a disaster. Hard words. But I think he's right. The church's obsession with money and wealth is a stain, and it dishonors our Lord. Jesus came as a poor man, and he ministered mostly to people who were outcasts or neglected by their society. When he sees us pursuing money, and mainly focusing on making rich friends and rich people happy, I wonder what he thinks. It's so important that we get this right, that we demystify money, and at the end of the day, we're doing it to follow Jesus better. If you were trusting in him by faith alone, then I know he's working in your heart, and we can trust together that he's bringing about his perfect work. Ben Witherington goes further in his book, He outlines 10 myths that we Christians need to get right about when it comes to money. You ready? Myth number one. If you trust the Lord, he will give you all the desires of your heart, even when those desires are for more money, for a bigger house or a nicer car or other luxuries. Psalm 37 does say that the Lord gives his people their desires, but in this psalm, the point is clear. Our desire is for the Lord. He gives us himself. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Myth two, we've just heard Ben mention Matthew 6 and the verse, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. It's a beautiful verse about trusting your heavenly father to provide your daily bread, your daily needs. The first myth takes this verse and tries to tell us that all these things is also about the boat in our driveway or an enormous house or a brand new car. Trust the Lord and you'll be living large too. Well, it's a myth. Jesus was talking about daily food, about getting what you need from the Lord to survive. What we need in our day, our time, isn't a green light to go on pursuing money under the guise of following Christ. We need to remember that Jesus called his more affluent followers to divest their wealth and serve others. Myth three, if you tithe, then God will multiply your blessing back to you. Ask and it will be given. This treats the Lord like a stock market. Invest now, get it back later. But taking that verse and turning it into a get-rich-quick scheme completely undermines why we would give to the church in the first place. We love because he first loved us. We give because he's given us so much. We don't give to get. We've received all we need in Christ, and we give out of our abundance. Myth four, if we are sincere enough or ask enough, then the Lord will eventually give us wealth and whatever else we ask for. Toddlers are good at wearing down parents by asking repeatedly, not the Lord. He knows what is good for us, and he isn't going to be strong-armed into making you wealthy. 
Paul asked him repeatedly to remove a bodily ailment he had, and every time the Lord said no. He said it because his grace is sufficient. Myth 5. Money is the root of all evil. So Christians shouldn't even think about it. Yes, an obsession with money leads to corruption. But in our world, we also need money to survive. That's reality. Rather than swear off money for good, we need to develop a healthy relationship with it and wisdom in how to handle it, just like Jesus had when he walked on the earth. Myth 6. Lending money at interest isn't a problem. False. God's word was clear in the Old Testament about not charging interest on loans to someone in their community, even if that person was a stranger in the land. I don't think Jesus changed his mind. He calls us to radical generosity. Myth 7. God has no problems with Christians being wealthy. After all, Solomon was the richest king ever according to the Bible. But Jesus was clear. If you find yourself having more than enough, you are called to share. Our giving is modeled on his. Myth 8. As long as I maintain an attitude of gratitude, I can do whatever I want with my money. We need to remember whose money it actually is in the first place. The Lord owns it all, even the cattle on a thousand hills. Cattle and livestock were marks of wealth back then. They were currency. The Lord owns all your stuff today, too. But something else. If our material wealth is indeed a blessing or a gift from the Lord, then the responsibility is on us to steward that gift well and to honor the Lord with our lives. Myth 9. Since we are saved by grace through faith, we don't have to worry about how we handle money, since we won't be held accountable in the last day anyways. I just want you to think about that statement. But instead of money, think if someone said that about murder or about swindling their neighbor. Of course it matters how you behave now, not because you can't be saved otherwise, but because the love of Christ compels us to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are called to use our money to honor Christ and not ourselves. Matthew 25 is a shocking image. Jesus chastised those who claimed to follow the king for what? For not feeding the hungry or clothing the naked. For not caring for the poor. It does matter. Jesus is clear that his people will use their lives to bless and care for others, just like he did for us. The final myth, myth 10. Since I tithe, I can do whatever I want with the remaining 90% of my income. And once again, we can't forget who that money belongs to. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. That reality should change the way we think about how we act in this world. We are not our own. But we have been freed to love and to use our time and our money to honor the one who bought us. We aren't slaves to sin anymore. Christ set us free in his life and death and resurrection. We are free to belong to the Lord, free to live lives that he calls us to. It is important to get these things right when it comes to money. But more than that, it is important to trust Christ and his grace to sustain us as we continue to walk with him day by day. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love. 
Encouraged today to think about the message of the song we just heard. Where is our treasure? Money is not bad in and of itself. In fact, we can use money for God's glory. Yet the Bible says it can be a root of evil. How can something be both good and bad? Well, that's just one of the subjects that Dr. Ben Witherington explores in his book that's called Jesus and Money. Let's be honest. Our Lord had some hard things to say to the rich, but also to the poor, and all of us in between. He told a rich man to give everything away and follow him. He praised a widow with almost nothing for tithing everything she had. And he told everyone to give to Caesar all that's Caesar's. How do we deal with all of this in a world that teaches happiness can only come from things that money can buy? Well... When you read Ben Witherington's book, he'll help you sort these things out with the help of Scripture. I'd like to get you a copy of Ben's book, Jesus and Money, A Guide for Times of Financial Crisis. It's a rare as well as an eye-opening book on how we need to perceive money through the eyes of our Savior. Why don't you call now? Make a gift to the ministry, but then ask for a copy of Jesus and Money. Just call us right now at 800 65 Haven, 865 Haven. Or you can go online and read a sample chapter out of the book that we've put up. And that's by going to haventoday.org. Our website again is haventoday.org. And one last time, we still have Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for your gift to the ministry. A great way to get rooted in God's Word daily. Ask about it when you call or read more online. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks for joining me. Won't you come back again next week when again together we'll share the great story. It's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. David tells us in Psalm 32. The Apostle Paul will pick that line up in Romans 4 as he explains the heart-stopping beauty of the Lord's plan of salvation. Blessedness, then, is not found in things. Paul should know he accomplished a lot in his day. David, too, king of Israel, renowned warrior. Blessedness is not something to be bought or won. It's a gift, the gift of forgiveness. It looks like the Lord stooping low to lift us out of the miry bog, cleaning us up, making us new. 
blessedness is found in Christ, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, in whom we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Spend more time with Jesus with Anchor Devotional at GetAnchor.com.